I am Meg McKean, and this is Bound and Determined. I hold the space to share the stories of women working in and for the insurance industry. It's here that we learn, we grow, we connect, and we celebrate. Because though we are women in insurance, we are so much more. I am so glad that you're here. Listening to Meg's podcast is like a warm hug from an old friend. She has a way of instantly making you feel like you're part of her tightest of circles when you listen to her speak. She's an advocate for women, silver hair, and always doing the right thing. We all can use a sprinkle of Meg in our lives, and I'm happy to be in her corner. That is a five-star review on iTunes from my friend, and my insurance agent, Lainey. Lainey, thank you for listening. If you have something to say about the podcast, good or bad, please head on over to iTunes and leave your review there. It helps to make sure that the stories that we share here land with the ears that need to hear them. Thank you for all the ways that you support this podcast. This conversation totally could have been three hours long, and no doubt we would still have things to talk about. Nikki Brandt is a self-proclaimed insurance nerd and the founder of NB Talent, and though she built her career here in insurance, Nikki is a breath of fresh air in the work she's doing to bring a totally different approach to recruiting. Listen as we talk about how it feels to turn a hunch into a thriving business, and She'll give us a peek into the career landscape today. Spoiler alert, employees want flexibility, but I suspect you already knew that. Off we go. Sometimes on the podcast, I talk about the podcast, which is very meta, I know. One of the things that I do, I get a lot of inquiries cold um, through my website. People want to be on the podcast and they're usually not, I'll say my ideal guest. They are pitching a product that's not in alignment with what I do or what we do here. And and it's a pretty easy no. Most of my guests are because I've reached out to them individually and largely because I know them and I know their stories and, and I know that those stories will be valuable to the listener. In this case, I did not know you and we have not talked before this very conversation, which is a bit of a risk. Um, although I knew instantly, as soon as I saw a post of yours on LinkedIn, that I needed to have you on the show and we needed to have this conversation. But <laughs> I think it speaks to uh, the power of showing up on social media, the power of saying what you mean and not mincing words, not being unprofessional, but being direct and really helping people to see who you are and how you can impact their lives. I keep a list of not necessarily names, but people who have had certain experiences or do a certain kind of work that I would like to meet along the way. And I've had a recruiter on my list from the beginning of season one and have never really found the right person that I felt represented the way, not that I see the future of the industry, but what I'm hearing over and over again, that we need the future of the industry to look like. So it was a big moment when I, I saw you and when I reached out to you and, and you responded with a yes, your message to me was so um, beautiful and so representative in my opinion of how so many of us feel when we've been 
doing what we've been doing and collecting experience and building our networks and our understanding of the business and not just the business as it is, but the business as what it could be. And I think we're in this time where I'm not just going to say change is needed, but like radical change. And it's needed in the products we sell, the ways that we engage with our customers, but also perhaps most importantly coming out of, hopefully coming out of this pandemic is in the way that we engage with the employees who choose to make a career here. So you and me and a lot of the women that have come on this show and a lot of the women that we know in the industry who are saying, hold up, this isn't working. I've got a lot of years left ahead of me. And if I'm going to you know, continue to find my way in this industry, some things need to change. But why I wanted you to join me here is because you have just a fresh perspective and I want to hear how you feel about things through your lens. No, I, I totally appreciate that. And, and I, I know that what I bring to my clients is super valuable because they've, they've told me and I've seen it. I just, I think when I started this business, I really was focused on like making this fit into a recruiting business box. And what I've learned over the last 10 months is it doesn't, but that's a good thing. It's something totally different. And I've just kind of, do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's value in recognizing what you're good at. And I, when I stopped worrying about it, being a quote unquote traditional recruiting business, that's when it really kind of felt good. And and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm at peace with it and it's doing really well. So I think that brings up a really interesting thing. And that's something I felt too. I, I hold myself out as a sales coach. And yet at the end of the day, when I think about competition and other people that are also sales coaches or sales trainers, the work I do is so different. It's different yeah. than it was three years ago, frankly, because I only knew what I had seen about sales training through the lens of an underwriter at a carrier level or as an agent. I didn't realize that there was a whole other way that we could go about training professionals. And so people ask me, like, who do you compete against? And it's not that I have complete market share and I don't have competition. It's that what I offer is really different. And I get the same energy from you and what you're bringing to the recruiting space. And I love that after 10 months, you're you're learning those lessons and you're making those shifts and people are meeting you there. They're responding and they're letting you know that, you know, yes, this is, um, this is what we need. So with that in mind, I'd love for you to tell me what, what it is in your words that you do. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about your insurance journey, because I think we've got some overlaps there, which are fun. Um, but also it's a really important story as we all think about career path that, The boxes that we've put ourselves or we've been put in don't have to be uh, our final resting place. And I love to hear about women (laughs) taking some entrepreneurial leaps in our business because there just aren't enough of us, but there's a huge opportunity for us. So that's a lot. I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Thank you. Um, So, you know, simpler in its simplest form, I'd say, you know, I'm I'm a recruiter. um, Although, you know, as as I mentioned, I, I feel like I started this business because I, like you probably have over the years, and my husband's in the business as well. So we kind of joke about these. We get messages, emails from different recruiters all the time, you know, about this quote unquote, great opportunity. And it was a terrible opportunity, either because it was a backstep or it was, you know, a company that I knew wasn't doing so well, or like the geography didn't make sense. Like at a quick glance, you could tell that this was not a good fit for for either one of us. And we would kind of laugh about how it was just either so uninformed because they didn't know the business or it was just this 
canned spam that went out to a hundred people hoping something stuck. And I just, we were actually, my husband and I were in Vegas with my sister-in-law and her husband and over drinks, I, I said, you know, I really think that there's a business here. I really think there'd be a business here to do this well, if you actually knew insurance and man, that could be a business, you know, and, and we kind of laughed about it. We talked about it a little bit. Um, it just kind of stuck with me. And, you know, a year and a half, two years later, whatever that ended up being, I, I pulled the trigger on it. And so I really just kind of feel like my my value is in connecting people. I really, I've been, my friends have joked that I'm like an ne- expert networker. So I really feel like this was just a way to kind of monetize, I guess you could say, my my skill sets of networking and kind of knowing the business. So I am hired by companies to help them find good talent. You know, I feel like I'm good at, I'm good at talking to people and I, I can kind of sniff out the ones that, you know, might not be the best fit for this position, but will be a great fit for that position. So that really, you know, it might take me longer than an average recruiter to find someone for this position, but darn it, when you get that person, they're going to be great. And that's my, you know, pledge to the client company is that I'm able to speak from personal experience, having been, you know, underwriter, producer, kind of knowing those sides of it and like who would be good for this position. So I feel like there's more value there. Even someone who's a recruiter specifically for the insurance space, if they haven't done those jobs, as you know, like they're very unique. And I think that having done them, you know, helps you bring that expertise to the table to find that person who is truly a good fit. Yes. Yeah. I mean, our industry is just it's just a goofy place. And the cast of characters, though it's massive, reputations are deep and they follow you. And it's amazing what you don't know when you get started. And so having somebody like you um, as an ally for the company, but also for the candidate, I think is really powerful. And I think it's beautiful how you've sort of taken this like inkling that there could be a better way and that you sat with it and you used your sources, right? Your, the, your support network, but beyond that, you looked internally and thought fundamentally about what you're good at, what comes naturally to you, what you enjoy doing, what people know you for. And now you've built a business around that. And I think many of us, I know many of us have really resisted that, that someone who's a really good underwriter is also typically very analytical. Someone who has great people skills is a unicorn. So if you've got both, you've got a whole lot more power in the marketplace than you probably think you do. And so I love that you did the exploration and I love that you've done something with it. And there's nothing wrong with underwriting as a career path. I should add that editorially. It's not a judgment about those who are in and thriving in the industry. It's those of us who have not always felt like we belonged here. And how can we shape a career in a way that, that helps to feed that sense of belonging, but also do good, meaningful work. So tell me a little bit about the path to get here. Tell me about some of those twists and turns that you took. Yeah. So I um, went to college, um, well, initially for fashion merchandising <laughs> because the the rep that came to um, my high school made it sound really cool to be a buyer for Bonton and you're 16, you don't know what you want to do. So I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. Got to college, realized like this is not a fit for me pretty quickly and shifted gears to business because I thought the business is where people make money, right? You go to school for business, you make money. And so I'm chugging along and like, you know, my second year, my, my advisor was like, can I just ask you a question? Like you're really sh- like not loving or excelling in the math and sciences, but you're amazing at like the humanities, the English, the writing, like why business? And I'm like, because that's where people make money. And he's like, I really firmly believe that you'll make money if you do something that you're good at and that you're passionate about. And 
that really, like I respected him a lot and that really just kind of stuck with me. And I ended up shifting my major to be professional writing. Um, so York College, where I went, has a major called professional writing. And it's not, you know, my mom was like, oh my God, you're going to be a starving poet. But it really was just surrounding, you know, mar marketing, press releases, resumes, you know, um, at that time, you know, websites were really a big thing, like verbiage for websites or marketing materials, things like that. So the whole business aspect of writing. So that's what I went to school for and graduated with. Loved it wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. And my first job out of college was doing um, public relations work for a real estate marketing company. I was writing the the verbiage and doing press releases and all that. And I, I liked it, but I was, I was making terrible money. I could barely like make ends meet with the money I was making. And so my father-in-law um, worked for an insurance company at the time. And he happened to mention at passing like, hey, we're hiring for an underwriter trainee. And I was like, well, what's an underwriter? And he's like, oh, it's a people business. You'll figure out the mechanics of it. I think you'd be great at it. The starting salary is $40,000 a year. And at that time, that was literally double what I was making. So I was like, <laughs> I don't care what it is, sign me up. <laughs> so I went and I applied and um, ultimately got the job, started as a trainee, you know, learned all the things, got some designate, some, you know, preliminary designations, um, loved it, knew I wanted to be, I saw the people in that kind of field role who were interacting with agents and being a people person. I was like, I can see myself once I learned the meat of this, I saw value in that. But I knew that once I learned the meat of it, I wanted to be that person in the field, connecting with agents face to face. So I could see that around me, there were a lot of people who were, you know, in their 40s who had that job, loved that job, weren't going anywhere. And so there was a, another company at the time that had an opening for an underwriter, which I thought would lead me to that field position more quickly just from their setup. So I ended up leaving the first company, went to the second and got that field rep position pretty quickly there and absolutely loved it. Had my dream job, loved working with agents. Um, their job was way harder than I thought it was, you know, being out working with them. It was an interesting take from going from behind the scenes at the desk to being out in front of agents and having them, you know, tell you what their day was like. This account's tough for that reason, this, that, and the other. So it was kind of a, a really great experience. And then one of my largest agents reached out to me one day and said, hey, you know, we, we really love to have you come chat with us about a producer position. And sales was the last thing that I ever thought <laughs> I would do. And I really just firmly believe that it's important to take opportunities presented to you just to explore them. And if nothing else, you know, you walk away from it feeling like that wasn't a fit, but I'm glad that I at least explored that to kind of give you confidence that you already are in the right place. And so I took that meeting and met with a few of the executives from that team and walked away feeling like, wow, I, I feel like I could actually do this and really be interested in it. And so I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to underwriting. I'm not, I'm typically not one to be like afraid to take the plunge. So I went there as a producer and I produced for I was about 10 years on the carrier side and then about five as a producer did really well with it, was one of the top salespeople a number of years, absolutely loved it. Um, it's a tough job, but a really fun and rewarding one. And I kind of thought that I would retire there. But like I said, I just kept getting this kind of inkling that this business could be something. And, you know, I'm one who I've watched Shark Tank over the years. Like I love the idea of being an entrepreneur and building something for yourself. And I've kind of always been one who um, is one of the hardest workers on the team. So I kind of said to myself, well, why give this hard work and so much of that income being brought in away to someone else if you could keep it all for yourself. And so I've just kind of thought over the years, I'd love to be kind of in business for myself, but it's like, you know, you have that feeling like, well, what, what could the business be? What's the product I could create or what's the service I could offer? And 
I just kept getting these notes from recruiters and they were so bad. And at the same time, I had people always telling me like, you know, you really know the business. Like you give great insight on career direction or you're really a great people connector. And I just thought there could be something there. And so, like I said, I same attitude as before. I thought, well, if it doesn't work out, I've left on good terms. I know I love producing and I'm good at it. I can always go back to it. So in January, I took the leap and it was super scary. I had a lot of people say like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you crazy? You make great money and you're good at it and you love it. And I was like, yes, all of those things. But what if this is better? Like I can add so much more value. And with the autonomy of being self-employed, having two little kids, like that really appealed to me. So I felt like I had nothing to lose really. Um, so I took the plunge and I honestly, I have not looked back. Oh my gosh. You... Oh, I love your story. And I think I love it so much because it is almost word for word, my own. And <laughs> it's fun to think back about the why, you know, when you're in it, you don't often think about the journey to get here. And I remember that feeling you literally, I mean, I did home office underwriting, field underwriting, agent calls, come work for us, take the, okay, sure. Never thought I'd sell insurance, but here I am selling insurance. And then thinking this is a really good job. Why would I ever leave this job? And then leaving that job and starting a business. And you literally, we've been on such similar paths. What's so interesting to me is there are so many women, we have these conversations and I do a lot of private coaching and one-on-one -on -one, and in those safe spaces, they will say, I want to do something different. And I think on a macro level, we're, we're feeling this, the great resignation, the great reset, the great reboot, the great it's got all sorts of names right now, but a lot of people, not just women, are really reevaluating their work and their values and their life and how all of those things fit together. And what's happening is a lot of, of women are using the space that I hold to say, I don't know that this is the right fit for me. The struggle then is what do I do if I don't do this? I've got kids and a mortgage and all sorts of responsibilities that are holding me back, at least holding them back in their mind. And so what it comes down to is this bigger conversation about risk-taking and taking that first step. And if you don't mind going there with me a little bit, what were some of those thoughts that you had when you were contemplating making this change? How did you go about, was it a very analytical process? Was it a, a hold your nose and jump kind of thing? Or how did that feel for you? Because I, I don't know that there's a resource that exists to tell someone or to help someone if they want to make a change, really figure out what that feels like. I know we know quit jobs and start businesses, but the emotions that go with that are something that I know I didn't have access to when I started my own business. I had to find that um, internally. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective, what that was like for you. Oh gosh. Um, scary. Um, I mean, like I would be, you know, it would be ignorant of me to, to ignore the fact that I do have a, a spouse who makes good money. You know, I talk to women sometimes about positions um, and they'll be honest and say, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm 35. I have a mortgage. I'm a single woman. Like, I'm not comfortable jumping into say a sales position because I have responsibilities and I maybe can't float on, you know, six months with no income and, you know, whatever the situation may be. So I fully recognize that it is 
easier to do what I did when you have a partner who, you know, has a stable job. Um, because I didn't know, you know, what those first six months would look like. You know, we, we sat down, we looked at money and I, I had planned this for a while. So I had been banking money for probably, I don't know, a year. I mean, I, I had decided to do this earlier than I did actually. And then COVID hit. And I thought to myself, well, it's probably not the best time to start a business. <laughs> like having companies pay you to find them people when everyone has a hiring freeze. Cause at that point, when it first hit, if you remember, like no one was, you know, hiring. So I tabled it and that gave me, you know, in hindsight, it gave me extra time to, um, to save money. It also gave me extra time to second guess myself when it came down to where I was about to do it. Um, you know, initially my husband was like, like, are you crazy? Like you love your job, you know, like, are you sure you want to do this? And by the time I had thought it through, made the business plan, decided how I was going to do it, what I was going to do. And I got cold feet. He was actually the one who was like, wait, now, now you're not going to do it. Like you need to do this. This is a great business idea, you know? And so that having a supporter, both from a, you know, mental cheerleader standpoint, as well as, you know, financial is like I said, a huge benefit that I recognize I had. And I'm, I'm super grateful to have had that, you know, to kind of validate the business that there was something there. I, I did reach out to a former, gosh, I guess boss's boss who I had stayed connected with over the years um, from one of the carriers I had worked with. And I, I reached out to him and I said, hey, let me run something past you. I'm thinking about quitting my job and starting a business recruiting and insurance. And he was quiet for a minute. He's like, Nikki, this is awesome. Yes. I'm like, would you work with me? And he was like, oh my God, yes, of course. Like we contract with so-and-so and so-and-so and and they don't bring us anybody that's of value. Like they don't even have the right background. They're not good to work with like hundred percent. Yes. And so that made me feel really good. You know, some validation that somebody who's super successful higher up in the business thought there was something there, but yeah, I mean, nothing ever took away the fear. The day that I gave notice the day before I gave my notice, gosh, I was laying in bed at night, like sick to my stomach. Like this is crazy. Cause you know, you asked about my concerns and my, my thought process, like my thought process was I spent the last five years, you know, building this book of business, these clients. And it's a little bit different, you know, when you're on the carrier side, because when you're on the carrier side, you know, I could always just go back and get a job as an underwriter. That was kind of my thought when I left to go to the agency side, right? I'll just go back and get a job as an underwriter. I knew I could go back and get hired and make, make good money and be fine. But when you're an, you know, producer, you're building a book of business, like, you have credibility, you have responsibilities to these clients, and you've spent time networking and developing rapport and then winning them over and convincing them that you you and your brand, your agency is the best one. They come to you, you've built this little book of business, this book of income for yourself. And, and no one's just going to give that back to you if, <laughs> if you decide that you don't like this. Like, I'm sure I could get hired by the company that I left tomorrow if I wanted to, but they're not going to give me all my clients back. So there was definitely a fear of like, if this doesn't work out, I knew I could get a job, but like, boy, I'd be starting from scratch. So it really was scary. And there was never any like one thing I would say that made me feel like, you know, I kept thinking, I kept saying to myself, how do I know if this is the right thing? How do I know if this is the right thing? You don't, you know, you have to just kind of go with your gut. And I'm a big believer in taking risk if it seems like it makes sense and going with your gut and your intuition on things and just kind of trying it. And, you know, fortunately it's worked out, but I can't lie and say it's not been scary. There's days now where I really, I kind of miss being around people. And I, I find myself going down that path of like, oh man, I, I really miss being around other humans, like in person, 
you know, has this been the right path for me? Um, I actually have a, a friend of mine who I got to know through serving on a board um, years ago, and she was in the recruiting space for, I don't know, a number of years, decided to go out about five years ago on her own and started her own recruiting business. And she's actually the first person that I kind of bounced this idea off of. Um, before I kind of, you know, stewed on it for a while. And I, you know, I said, you've been super successful. Like, would it be crazy to kind of do what you do in my space? And she was like, no, it's, it's absolutely smart. Like, you know, people do this every day that aren't good at it and they're successful. She's like, so if you know your business and I know you're a people person, you could for sure do it. And that also kind of gave me some, some validation, but she was also a huge mentor to me um, this whole time. I mean, she has given me so much time and, and expertise and knowledge because I know insurance, but I don't know recruiting, you know, like that piece to me has all been kind of learned. I really look at myself as more of a networker and a connector than a recruiter. And so I've had to learn that piece and I've leaned heavily on her. So I would say anybody who's considering something, you know, like what I've done where you kind of go out on your own, like figure out what you're good at and how you can possibly monetize that, you know, and find someone who can be a mentor to you. Who's, you know, she's not that much older than me, but she's five years ahead of me on my timeline. So I don't think age necessarily has to do with a good mentor, but somebody who's ahead of you on your journey that can kind of be your sounding board. Um, and we've actually talked about, you know, going to get a co-working space together just for the the sheer value of having that face-to-face collaboration with each other to kind of bounce ideas off of, you know, fee structures and contracts and just different things that you kind of, you know, miss being in a, in a place with people. Um, so, you know, having her has also been a huge asset to me on this whole journey. That's amazing. And as a little aside, I'm glad you mentioned co-working because I feel you on not having co-workers and I'm actually in a co-working space right now as we're recording this. And it's just been wonderful for a lot of, a lot of reasons. It's the collaboration that you're talking about, but it's also the boundaries where I go to the office and then I leave the office and hopefully the laptop doesn't come on again until the next day and the flexibility of co-working. And for anyone who's not co-worked before, it's literally shared office space for random professionals doing random things. And you get to chat over the coffee maker, or the water cooler, so to speak. And it just gives you the sense of camaraderie that so many people are missing when they're working independently. I love that. And I love, love, love what you said about mentorship. We grapple sometimes with this idea of, of what it means to be a mentor versus someone who needs to be mentored and don't often recognize when we've amassed enough experience and expertise to be the one that others call on for help and for support. And I've got a couple of women in particular in my world that I would describe very similarly to the woman that you described who have been so exceptionally generous with their knowledge and their time. And more than that, their support, their encouragement, their cheerleading, their honesty to help me literally take over space that they've held for a long, long time because they recognize the value in paying it forward And frankly, they want to retire eventually. And so it's good business all around to help look over our shoulders and see who's up and coming and lend a hand that way, but also reach out. And if you are sitting on an idea and you're not sure how to bring it into fruition, it may not have been done before, but someone else has done something for the first time before. And that, that knowledge and those connections are so valuable. Tell me about what it looks like to work with you. Honestly, I have been really fortunate that word kind of got out and people found me and I actually am like 
totally beyond capacity um, as far as clients go, just because um, it's just me at this point. You know, it, this first year has by far exceeded my expectations as to what, uh, you know, interest I would have, which is, you know, a good problem to have. But, you know, they've tasked me with a lot of what I'm working on is positions for um, on the carrier side, underwriters and, you know, field production underwriter, marketing reps, whatever you want to call them. Um, And on the agency side, it's a lot of um, commercial and personal account managers, um, tons of producer positions. Everybody needs good producers. And it's interesting because, the market right now for insurance, I mean, I think I think for a lot, a lot of industries, but especially in our industry, you know, it's really a situation where the good people who are recognized as being one of the good ones by their employers, like if the employers are smart and they're they're getting smarter at this, they're really taking care of them. They're making sure that they're happy, that they're appreciated, that they feel you know, valued and respected as an employee. And so the ones that are doing a good job of that, it's harder to pry those people away. And so they're not out there looking on Monster or on the companies, like they're happy, they're not looking at all. And not only are they not looking, but if I approach them or anybody else approaches them, they're really hard to pry away because that company's done a great job of really making them feel valued as a, a key part of the team. And so what I'm finding is the tables have kind of turned now where maybe five, 10 years ago, you know, let's say I'm interviewing for an underwriter position. I'm really pitching on why, you know, I'm the best candidate for this position. And now it's kind of like the tables are turned to where assuming the person is a good match for the, the role and, and they do a good job at the interview, the employer is now pitching the individual on why they are the best place for them to work, you know, why they take the best care of their employees, or especially on the agency side, why they have the best resources for that person to go and be able to sell to clients. And so it's interesting because I really feel like that's where, you know, yes, I call myself a recruiter. That's what my contract says. But I really feel like just a a people person, a connector, I'm having conversations with someone like, okay, well, I know that you're at such and such company and I know that they do X, Y, and Z well, but this is a much better opportunity in my opinion. And I've worked with this company at length, or I've actually worked at this company, or I've, I've got people who work at this company and I have the insider information on X, Y, and Z. And here's why it's a great opportunity and why I think it's a better one for you. And we kind of talk it through. And, you know, I'm never trying to cram a square peg into a round hole. Like if something doesn't fit, I'll tell the person, like I've had someone that could be a great fit, but they're overqualified. And I'm like, you know what, this is, you're overqualified for this job. Like you don't want this, but let's still talk and keep in touch in case something else comes along. And, and that, you know, for that particular transaction hurts me, but I really think long-term because I want the client companies to know that I am bringing them people who really are a good fit for that, that they're not going to feel like it's a downgrade to get there. And they're not wasting anybody's time or my time or their time. But also I want the candidates to feel like they have gotten some value and that I actually get their world and I have their interests at heart. I mean, the companies are paying me, not the candidates. So I make no money whatsoever on giving advice or mentorship or whatever. But I just, as a person who's been fortunate to have some great mentors and, you know, just leaders in my in my industry, I just feel like the right thing to do is to kind of pay that back. So I've told people like, this job isn't the right fit, but just so you know, like you're underpaid by about 30% or, or whatever the situation is. Like I give them that insight just because I believe in helping other people even if it's not going to benefit me, but I think there's value in that and that they'll, you know, keep me in mind. I've gotten a lot of referrals, you know, from that kind of thing, people kind of looking at me as more of a, a mentor and a sounding board. So it's kind of, it's a different take on recruiting. Um, it's a long-term play for me. A lot of these positions, it might take me, like I said earlier, you know, months to find the right person for this job. But 
when we find that right person, the company is like, yes, like they are the one, like, I love it. So I kind of do it a little bit different and I'm upfront with them about that. And it's so far it's been working. Mm. Well, it's been working, I think, because it's hard not to, well, that's a big statement. I was going to say it's hard to not be successful when you're doing the work that you're meant to be doing, but that's not always true. But with that in mind, people do want to work with people who are engaged in their work and care about the work beyond the paycheck. And so I'm sure your clients are sensing that this is a function of our industry, but it's more than that for you. It's about helping align people and passions and uh, resources and, and building something versus just uh, checking a box, which is a lot of, you know, historically what I won't say recruiting, cause I've not been in that space, but a lot of what we've done as an industry in the past, and that's definitely changing. I would love to know. So you have this really cool, like boots on the ground glimpse into what these conversations look like. And obviously I respect the privacy of those, but what are the kinds of things? And, and there's this shift and you hit it that the employees have a whole lot more power in this process than they have in my career. I've been doing this for 20 years. The first three jobs I had in the industry, salaries were not negotiable. And that was not me not exerting my authority or asking for what I needed or asserting myself. That was literally, here is the offer, take it or leave it. And so it's a really interesting time when everything is negotiable. It seems like, what are the things that are coming up over and over and over again. Is it work from home, remote work, hybrid? Is that, that's getting a lot of attention right now, but is that the thing? What else is, what else are people asking for that's become more of a negotiation point from your perspective? That's the biggest one for sure. Um, You know, it's, and I think, I I don't know. I I think it's interesting because I think a lot of companies are really digging their heel. I shouldn't say a lot. I don't know how many are versus how many aren't, but I have got a mixed bag. You know, I've got some companies that I'm seeing people are coming to me from these companies because the company is digging their heels in that like, you know, come hell or high water, we will be back in an office. And, you know, I personally think there's a ton of value in face-to-face collaboration, like we were just talking about, I'm, I'm going to go pay someone to let me sit in a space outside of my home, you know, while others are like trying to stay at home. Like I, and I think that it's more coveted when it's not like a requirement in some ways. And I think the option is great for people. That's kind of what most of them want is the option. But I think it's really become a priority for people who, you know, it's not uncommon for people nowadays to have a 45 minute, an hour commute. And if you just strictly look at the times, let's say two hours a day in the car, 10 hours a week, I mean, that's time people could have going to the gym, spending time with their family, getting more work done, you know, whatever. And so I think people are kind of like, well, wait a minute, if I can do the same job over here and have more flexibility and time in my day, And that flexibility, I think is a big one because, you know, for me personally, getting my daughter on and off the bus, like that's a little thing, but the bus comes at eight 30. So I'm having to arrange for like before, you know, and after school care, if I can't be there And for a lot of people, the savings and the just flexibility of that is huge. And they've, they've kind of tasted freedom. And I think the general attitude is why was it okay for us to get that flexibility when it benefited you employer, but not now that it benefits me when I've demonstrated that I can do this job just as well, if not better in this position. So I am getting a ton of, um, a lot of underwriters is the big one. People want that 
option, um, that flexibility, and they're willing to leave for it. They're willing to take the same pay. They'll, they'll make a move just, you know, for the same pay for that one. That's a big one. Um, that's really the biggest. I mean, I, I don't know that anything else I am seeing has shifted because of COVID. Like, that's definitely the big one. I mean, people are not going to jump ship for typically less than, you know, 10 to 15 percent, you know, salary just because they're going into the unknown. So they're looking for a bump if they're going to make a change, especially if they're not happy. And if they are happy, then sometimes it's taking more for the company to, to kind of pull them away. But definitely, work from home flexibility whatever that looks like is is by far the biggest one right now yeah that makes a lot of sense obviously the time that we're living in and and as a an advocate for work from home way back when before it was in vogue or a business necessity i worked for a carrier from home and yeah it's getting time back in your life and being in control of of how and where and when you show up and getting your work done and it's not for everyone um, I respect that, but I think the choice that you mentioned is really um, is really key. This is fascinating. I think we could talk all morning, frankly, that what you're doing is so relevant and so timely. And all of these conversations are conversations that are being had like today. And so I think it's fascinating. As a, a closing, I know that you're at capacity um, client-wise. Congratulations. That's a huge milestone. If you Thank have you. a waiting list and someone wanted to jump on that waiting list or just have a, an introductory or discovery call with you, uh, what would be the best way for them to find you? Um, through LinkedIn is fine or um, my email, Nikki at nb-talent.com. And certainly while I am at capacity, I'm always looking to network with individuals for the purposes of, you know, future opportunities. So that that network can never be big enough. So, you know, definitely open to always connecting with anyone in the industry. I'm working with companies that have a presence all over, but definitely heavily concentrated in the, in the Northeast, um, I would say. Perfect. Oh, that's awesome. And, and it's such a fun reminder that even when our business card doesn't say sales or business development in this sort of business, when you're on your own, you have to keep thinking about what's coming down the line and what happens when this contract ends. And um, it's fascinating how we still are in, in business development, even though that's not what our, our titles say. So this is yeah. great. Um, thank you so much for being here and can't wait to see you along the way. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was flattered to be asked and um, yeah, it was fun. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, a podcast produced and hosted by me, Meg McKean. I help insurance professionals to create a different experience with their work through private and small group coaching and the workshops and public speaking that I do. You can learn more about that work and this podcast when you head to adjunctadvisors.com forward slash bound. Thanks for listening.